0: If you'll please open your Bibles to John chapter 6. As I worked through our passage this week, I was struck by two things, and we're just going to jump right in this morning without much of an introduction. As we read, as I read the passage for you, I want to see if you can pick up on these two things that I found this week. One I mentioned already, a deep sense of humility that I was struck with, and also a deep sense of hope humility, and hope. See if you can pick up on those two things in this passage. Please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. These are the very words of God. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father." that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. May God bless the teaching, the hearing of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, would You indeed humble us with what we find here, And would you give us great, great hope? Would you do both of these things for your glory and for our good? Help us to not be like the crowd who saw Jesus and did not believe, but by the work of your power, by the work of your Holy Spirit, would you allow us to both see Jesus and believe? We ask this in His name and for His sake. Amen. Please be seated. Did you see anything there that might lead you to a sense of humility? Did you see anything there where you might find a deep sense of hopefulness? I want to look at both of those two. And then finally at the end, I want to make, <clears throat> make a case that it is the humility that actually produces the hope. That actually is the reason for the hope that the passage offers. We could all probably use a good dose of each of those. Humility and hope. So, what in this passage might prompt our humility? It starts in the very first verse, verse 35. Uh, Jesus is identifying himself as the bread of life. We saw that a little bit last week. But he issues with this identification an invitation. The invitation has a promise. He says, Since I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me, never hunger, never thirst. Okay? So what do we have here? We have a wide open invite a pretty impressive meal if you will that whoever any and all who will both come and believe well those will find their hunger satisfied their thirst quenched forever that's really good news the humility slowly begins to creep in when we stop and consider how relatively few actually do come and how few believe that's true then that's true now back in Jesus' day few came in our time, where are folks this morning? In, in general, where are folks this morning? Very few are gathered together worshiping Jesus. It often seems no matter how strong a case we might present to our friends and to our family, laying it all out before them that the free offer of Jesus, it's yours for the taking, but we actually find very few takers. And that's nothing new. Jesus experienced the same. We've already seen in John's Gospel Right? He's laying it all out there for them, making a case of who he is, revealing himself, not just in words, but in miraculous signs and wonders. And yet, the unbelief he encounters is staggering. He, he comments on it here in verse 36. You've seen me. You have seen me, you've seen me perform miracles, you have tasted with your own mouths the bread and the fish. You ate till you're full and about to pop and yet you don't believe. Why is it that so few come to him and so few believe in him? There's so much unbelief. It would not be too far-fetched to begin to wonder if Jesus' invitation, if his offer might go completely unheeded. That it just might be a bust. That no one would come. That no one would believe. And that would be exactly what would happen. If the Father had not exerted his will in this situation. See, Jesus lacks no confidence here. There's no anxiousness on his his part. There's no hand wringing on his part, wondering, oh gee, I wonder if anybody's going to come to me. I wonder if anybody's going to believe no, quite the opposite. He's boasting. He's, he's so confident. There are some who will come. He knows it. Verse 37, he knows the ones the Father gives to him will absolutely and certainly come to him. The ones the Father gives. Now, that might seem radical to you. That might be a new idea for you to consider. And it's one that I want us to explore a bit. And if it makes you uncomfortable, well, get ready. Because John's got a lot more to say about it. It's a big theme in his gospel that we're just getting started with. And we can deduce much from this truth. In verse 37, all the Father gives me will come to me. Several things that we can logically and pretty reasonably deduce from this. So I want to make just a short list of some conclusions from this truth. Right? The first is that there are two groups of people. That's pretty easy to deduce from this. There are two groups of people. Those who come to Jesus is one group. And those who don't come, right? This is difficult. Those who don't come would be the, the, the second group. Unbelief is rampant. We've seen that already, right? It's quite obvious that not everyone is coming, but Jesus indicates there are some who will come. So two groups. That's the first simple conclusion to draw. Second conclusion, if you come to Jesus it's because the Father gave you to the Son. If you come, it's because the Father gave you. Next conclusion is no great leap from that one. If you don't come, then the Father did not give you to the Son. Because Jesus says all who are given, come. And that leads us finally to this fourth conclusion. The Father's giving, (laughs) it is absolutely effective. Jesus doesn't say, nine out of ten people the Father gives to me, come to me. He doesn't say usually when the Father gives someone, no, all. All that the Father gives to me, come to me. And so this is where the humility really begins to take shape. If I come, and if I believe, <laughs> it's not ultimately about me. It's not because I had all the facts laid out for me, and I used the old noggin, and I made the best decision out of all the, infra- all the available information that I had. no. We know it's not that. We know it's not that from verse 36. And the crowd that is right there in front of him who literally firsthand saw him in the flesh and ooh, no thanks. See, it's not a matter of you or me deciding to come to Jesus. I haven't given you a Calvin quote in a couple of weeks, you're long overdue. He's on the money as always, most always. Faith is not a thing which depends on the will of men so that this man and that man indiscriminately and at random believe, but that God uh, elects, there's that dirty word, but that God elects those whom he hands over to his son. He goes on in that paragraph to say, all do not come, which is pretty obvious. And finally, God works in his elect by such an efficacy, such an effectiveness of the Holy Spirit that not one of them falls away. And, I, and I'm glad that Calvin mentions the Holy Spirit there because that's, that's part of what we get um, in the context of working through John's Gospel, like we are, because we're in Chapter Six, we hit Chapter Three a long time back, where we began to see the Holy Spirit's role, His work in the new birth. Because you see, I think I'd argue that's how the Father gives people to the Son. It's through the new birth, by by, by causing that new birth. Later in John's Gospel, we're going to see the Holy Spirit's role in, in continuing our belief. And our continued belief in the Son is going to be the Holy Spirit's work as well. So, the coming to Jesus isn't based on the will of man. It's not that this one and that one, well, they just happen to decide to come to Jesus. No, it's all those the Father has decided of His own free will... They will come because I will give them to the Son. And and please note here, we don't see anything here to lead us to believe that this has anything to do with with deserving to be in that group, uh, with earning or meriting or, or being the cream of the crop, if you will. No, simply according to his pleasure and his will. Right? It's His will. The Father's will is the deciding factor. The Father's will is supreme in all this. And Jesus makes reference to that in verse 38. Right, Even Jesus, even the Son of God, didn't come to do His own will, but the will of the One who sent Him. His Father's will. And He goes on to explain what that will is is to rescue sinners. That's the Father's will. That's His desire to rescue sinners and to see that the Son keeps them to the end, which is getting to the hope that we're about to get to. Now, I'm not sure what all of your comfort level is with talk like this, with with, with seeing things like this in Scripture. It can be a little unsettling, and I get that. I want to be sensitive to that. Especially if if it challenges maybe how you've understood things in the past or how you've typically thought about things. Um, John in his gospel is going to give us plenty of opportunity to keep working through this and to perhaps become more comfortable with it. We're going to see it... (laughs) Again, chapter 10, when Jesus is talking about he's the good shepherd. Uh, Chapter 17, when he's praying his great high priestly prayer, as it gets called. We'll see this theme of the Father giving people to Jesus repeated again and again. Now, here's probably two of the biggest ways that people are uncomfortable with this. Maybe uh, questions that they have about it, objections that they would raise. And the first one would be, well, gosh, that just seems unfair. to say that God decides that well that just seems unfair to me that that only this specific group that the father decided to give to the son well they're the only ones that can come to him that seems unfair to me well if that's you may I suggest a small misunderstanding that may be lurking beneath that objection that that objection this unfair it, it, it sort of puts this hypothetical question forward of, well, you know, what if there's someone out there who really wants to come to Jesus and believe on Him, but He's not in that specific group that the Father has given to the Son? That's unfair. He wants to come and the Father's not going to let Him. That's just mean. But that scenario, that hypothetical question, Someone wanting to and not being able to, that's an impossibility. Because none of us left to our own devices, no one wants to come to the Son and believe on Him. No one. Because of our fallen natures. Paul, Romans 3, right? No one seeks after God. Not one. We don't have it in us. The desire is not there. And and in fact, we've already seen from this very gospel, it's actually a lot worse than that. It's not just we don't seek him. Uh, Remember back from chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's good news. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's the kicker, verse 19. This is the judgment. The light, that is the Son, Jesus. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People love darkness. You and I love darkness our affections and our wills are set on darkness and against Jesus. We do not want him until something changes. Right? So, so this hypothetical, that's not fair, what if scenario, it has no potential to exist in reality. No one will ever want Jesus in and of himself. In fact, if you do want Jesus, if you do desire to come to him, that's the proof that the Father has given you to the Son. It's proof, chapter 3, of the new birth. It's evidence that something has happened to your old heart, that old darkness-loving, Jesus-resisting heart must have been changed. Because if you do now find yourself seeking Him, if you do now find yourself seeing His beauty and His worth, and and you see his, His unmatched qualification to be your rescuer from sin and death, well, that means the Father has given you to Him. So that's the, the first big objection, right, this, that it's somehow unfair. The other big question or objection has to do with the realm of responsibility. Do, doesn't this somehow take away from man's responsibility? If, if you're saying that, that God decides, well, are we not responsible? Of course we are. We're still responsible, responsible both for coming to Jesus and believing on him, But also, and this is another area where it often works itself out and there are objections about, we're still responsible for telling other people about him. We're still responsible for for preaching and teaching and telling and giving out the good news. Because remember the invitation in verse 35? Whoever, whoever will come, whoever will believe, that was Jesus' invitation, that's got to be our invitation as well. We're responsible to tell, and man is absolutely responsible to come and to believe. That's the thing that has to happen. And we see it in these verses, verse 35, right? There is coming and there is believing very clearly in verse 40, right? There is looking on the Son and believing in Him, It's the folks that do those two things that have eternal life. So so there's no lack of harmony between the Father giving folks to the Son and those folks actually coming to Him and believing Him. See, God has ordained the end result and the means of how that end result is accomplished, right? Right? We have to come. We have to believe. Yes, it is enabled by the Father through the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't happen otherwise. Both and it's humbling. It's humbling to see in Scripture that our salvation is not our doing, not the accomplishing of it. Right? We're we're down with that. Right? We know that was Christ's work on the cross. But not even the choosing or the deciding. We come to Jesus, we believe on Him only because the Father has enabled that believing by giving us to the Son, by placing new hearts inside of us. The great hope here The great hope is not just in the coming and the believing. The great hope is also in the enduring and the making it to the end. That we remain with Jesus after we come to Him and believe on Him. And these verses, they just overflow with hope. The hope that our deep hunger and thirst can in fact be sated and quenched for all time. The great hope that Jesus, in fact, receives every single one that the Father gives to him. But he doesn't just receive them, he also holds on to them and he keeps them. And, and that's what we understand from verse 37. Verse it's, It might strike you as weird, I'm not sure. It's one of those figures of speech where, where you affirm something by negating the opposite of it. So if I said, oh, well, for me getting to church on time this morning, that was no small accomplishment, Right? So I, I, I negate the opposite. It was really a big deal. It was a big feat for me to get here on time, right? Um, so that's what's going on here. Negating the opposite. Jesus says, I will never cast out those that come to me. Is him saying, I will hold you fast forever. I will cling tightly to you. You're not going anywhere. And it's reiterated again in verse 39. That the Father's will explicitly stated Uh, The Father saying to Jesus, Jesus, make sure that you lose nothing of what I give to you. And, And he says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Why do we have hope? How can we have hope of making it to the end? Is it in our faithfulness? Is it in our being good little soldiers, good little followers of Jesus? No, our hope finds its secure foundation In the perfect faithfulness and obedience of Jesus. His faithfulness. His obedience to the Father. No, sir, I will lose none of them. I will hold them tightly forever. Calvin said, uh, Jesus isn't the guardian of our salvation for a day. Or even for a few days. But until the very end, two times in verse 39 and 40, his faithfulness um, is fully completed. It comes to its fruition when we are raised up on the last day. And folks, we need that hope. We need it stated over and over and over again because life is tough. Life is uncertain it's hard. There's a lot that happens while we live our lives here that that make us wonder, that that cause fear and cause anxiety and have us wondering, am I going to make it? Is this besetting temptation, is this sin going to be the ruin of me? What about this sickness that I'm facing? What about this financial difficulty? Y'all, we need hope and we need to be reminded again and again. And frankly, sometimes we need to be reminded of how easy we have it and that the folks have it a lot worse than we do. Y'all, there are, there are folks today, this day, Sunday, May 26th, that have already lost their lives our brothers and sisters in Christ who have lost their lives today for choosing to worship Jesus. Right? People in those situations, the, the, their friends and their family that are left after they've been killed, they need this hope. They need to know that they're secure to the end. Jesus will not cast me out, He will not lose me, He will hang on to the end. He's holding tight to me. There's great humility. There's great hope. And I told you early on I wanted to make the case that the humility actually produces the hope that we have. And I see that two ways here. One is a seemingly small way in verse 38. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. And that's not the primary focus of that verse, but it is so important nonetheless. I have come down from heaven. See, Jesus' own humility leads to our hope. His willingness to condescend, His willingness to come down, His willingness to leave everything that was rightfully His in heaven, to condescend, to come down, and to be humiliated for us. His humility leads to our hope. But there's a second way I see this working. Right? It's humbling to see that our coming to Jesus and believing on Him, well, that's not our doing. We we can't take any credit for that, and and that is therefore humbling. But it's also quite hopeful if you think about it. Because if I didn't have anything to do with getting this thing started... then maybe I can't ruin it either. Because see, if it was up to me to get the ball rolling, if it was up to me to decide to follow Jesus, then what's to say I might not decide at some point to unfollow Jesus. See, if I had somehow merited a relationship with him in the first place, then perhaps I could accrue enough demerits to warrant the end of that relationship. But but if this was all His idea, if He started this thing, if it was His doing and, and His will and the Father giving me to Jesus so that I could come to Him, if He gave me a new heart that no longer loves darkness but wants to come to Jesus, then who do I think I am? To think I could undo that. Do I have more power than God? Am I able to thwart His will? Y'all, if we could mess it up, trust me, we would. The humility of that situation produces hope. Um, one last bit of Calvin's wisdom here and we're done he said at every moment indeed the salvation of the whole world might be ruined were it not that believers supported by the hand of Christ advance boldly to the day of resurrection is this whole scenario humbling yes quite But is it also hopeful? Friends, rejoice in the hope that He will raise you up on the last day. Let's pray. Oh God, indeed You are a great God. Even from that Scripture reading in Isaiah 45 earlier in the service. There's no one like You. There's no one who compares in power and might You're the author of this thing. You're the one who will complete this thing. Jesus, You are the faithful and perfectly obedient Son and we cling to this promise that You cling to us. We're not going to make it because we cling tightly to You. We're not going to make it because we're faithful. We're going to make it because You're faithful. We're going to make it because You hold on tight and You'll never let us go. Would You help us to believe it? Would You help us to live bold and daring lives in light of it? That You might be glorified. That Jesus might be exalted. That men and women around us might be enticed to come and to follow His will. Amen.